stand up for yourself. This is how you protect yourself. These are the avenues available to you to fight back. But unfortunately, nurses are just often completely ignorant to all of that until they're just, you know, hit with it, right? And then it's like a PTSD thing, you know, trying to navigate that. It's terrible. Oh, I gotta go. I've been working, told them, please don't hit my phone. I'm in my zone, bro. Just leave me alone. Was on the road, but I swear I'm coming home. Now the drinks on me, I think we need a toast. See, I did it for me. Now my old friends calling, told them nothing's for free. Told me time is money, dog, swear I paid on my fees. I was starving for this day, now my fan, they can't eat. Hey, everyone. Welcome, welcome. Welcome to the Cup of Nurses show with your hosts, Peter and Matt. Two nurses on a mission to change this world one conversation at a time. So let's jump right into it. If you find value in this show and want to join us on this mission, please share and review the show. It would mean absolutely everything to us. Cupofnurses.com for your latest updates, merch releases, and all the info to all of our show notes. For our lifestyle podcast, you can check out wearefrontlinewarriors.com. In this episode, we would like to introduce you to the nurse Erica, as she is known on social media, is a prolific nursing advocate. She says the things we all want to say, but are too afraid of retaliation. We talk about her journey from becoming a nurse to a nurse manager, the fake nursing shortage, and a lack of nursing unions. Hey, Nurse Erica, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for your time. Can you give us a little bit of background about yourself and how you got started in nursing and everything that you're doing right now? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you guys for having me on. I've been excited about this since last week. A little bit about me. I've been in nursing for over 20 years, first as a CNA and then eventually as an RN. I started in pediatrics, PICU, everything kind of maternal child related, went and did adult nursing for a couple of years, didn't love that, <laughs> went back to uh, pediatrics where I've spent the bulk of my career and eventually transitioned into nursing leadership where I've been the last several years and the last few years, I've been uh, primarily in hospice and palliative care, uh, including pediatric hospice. That's really my passion. Going through all those different fields and specialties, is there anything that like stood out to you or even transitioning from nursing school to CNA, from CNA to nursing school to being a nurse, anything that like really stuck out to you in nursing field? For example, for me, what really stuck out in my first year of nursing is how different nursing school was compared to how nursing actually is. So is there anything that like really stuck out to you? Well, you're absolutely right. It It's completely different, right? We're, we're taught perfect world nursing where we have all the resources and the supplies and people that will back us up when we are advocating for patients. And that is unfortunately just not the reality. I wish that nursing schools had some kind of a course, like a real world, this is what you may run into. And if you do, this is how you, you know, stand up for yourself. This is how you protect yourself. These are the avenues available to you to fight back. But unfortunately, nurses are just often completely ignorant to all of that until they're just, you know, hit with it, right? And then it's like a PTSD thing, you know, trying to navigate that. It's terrible. Yeah, nursing school was always like the 
perfect picture scenario for nurses. Hey, if this happens, how would you do this? Never really talks to you about being short staffed, never talks to you about being overworked, never gave you a really realistic perspective on the whole nursing career. And it's almost like I feel like they do it on purpose because if they show you the, the real things of nursing, it'll probably dishearten a lot of nursing students and they probably wouldn't want to do it, which I don't know if it's a good thing or, or a bad thing, but they need to do a little bit of a reality check in nursing school and actually bring some more of this real world perspective. Maybe they need some more like nurse speakers that might prepare them for, for, for like the actual demands of the job because the demands that you think of outside nursing school or when you're in nursing school that you expect are going to be the demands, that's not, it's not really true. It's like 10x of what you think you're gonna, gonna be going into. It's a lot, it's a lot harder. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And that's kind of one of my dreams. I would love to one day be that guest speaker. I've done it a few times at a few different uh, nursing programs, but I would love to somehow parlay this into a regular thing where I could go and do just like a day long seminar of sorts with, you know, fourth semester nursing students and say, look, here's the reality. And if and when this happens, this is what you can do to protect yourself. This is what you should do to report things. Or do, yeah. you, or do you think there has to be a greater focus on on the actual clinical side of nursing school? Because a lot of nursing schools only have you do clinicals maybe once a week. And then at the end, at the last semester, they make you do like twice a week. And plus, you're still working on care plans. So that kind of offsets the time of patient-centered care, you could say. And you're focused more on your, your uh, care plans. Your, hey, I have to do this, this, and this because that's what's required of me. And you're not as focused on the actual nursing job. So do you think maybe expanding to more clinical hours will might be a better solution? Yeah, it absolutely would. I was pretty fortunate. I initially did an ADN program before I went back to school, and there was a huge emphasis on clinical hours. We had exponentially more than the BSN programs in the area. So I really came out prepared as far as clinical skills as much as you can be as a new grad, I felt like. But yes, uh, especially recently, you know, with COVID and all the limitations, nurses are just coming out with no firsthand experience. And it's, it's unfortunately dangerous sometimes. Being a nurse leader, as you mentioned, have you noticed any shifts in the nursing community pre and post pandemic? Oh, definitely. Uh, you know, pre pandemic, we, as a, as a profession, we're still very much um, drinking the Kool-Aid, so to speak. You know, not always. We knew, we knew that management didn't always have maybe our best interest at heart, but I really think that a lot of nurses wanted to believe the best in hospitals and administrations, and we definitely gave them the benefit of the doubt more often than they earned, right? And in my opinion, it took something this big like the pandemic and seeing all the atrocities and not just like what the pandemic did to patients, but what healthcare administrators did to nurses. It took seeing all of those atrocities for nurses collectively to kind of go, wait a minute, this is so messed up. This is absolutely corrupt. None of this should be happening. And now nurses are not, they're not putting up with it, right? We are just not there for the abuse. We're not there for the overtime. We're not there to be lied to, to be gaslit, to be taken advantage of. We're just not tolerating just about anything anymore. And I, I frankly love it. <laughs> I love to see it. It's so empowering. It's, it's 
really something to witness the last couple of years. It's also great that the outside community of nurses and the general public are aware of these issues too, because before it was very secretive, HIPAA, we can't talk about it. You're only talking about it with your coworkers that work in the field. Now, as you guys mentioned, people are like, well, I want to go into nursing, but I'm hearing all these things. You guys are understaffed and the ratios. And now people are getting a general idea of what's happening. And I love that the pandemic happened, unfortunately, right? But now we're seeing these issues. We could solve them. So do you see as a leader nurses becoming more empowered post-pandemic now? And we're not drinking the Kool-Aid anymore, as you said. You know, there's still a definite challenge because unfortunately, nursing leadership and healthcare administrators, they still, by and large, are suffering under the delusion that they can still manipulate nurses, that they're still, you know, the puppeteer holding the puppet strings and controlling us. Uh, There's not too many yet that have really embraced the fact that, that it has changed and it's not going back. And unfortunately, in my opinion, I I think it's going to really have to crash and burn even more so than it already has the nursing profession. It's, it's going to take something really substantial before they finally go, okay, you know, or someone forces them to say, you know, okay, enough, you, you can't be doing this anymore because they're still trying to get away with as much as they can at nurses expense. So how do you think nurse managers or nurse leaders can kind of help out their staff nurses what's like a like a solution that that you think might work or do you think there's too much pressure from let's just say nurse managers want to help out the nurses but there's too much pressure in them hitting their numbers hitting their metrics from their supervisors how do you how do you solve that dilemma well first of all the pressure on nurse managers is immense you cannot even imagine i don't like to talk about it a lot because I feel like, you know, we need to really focus on frontline bedside staff, right? And no one wants to hear, oh, poor me from a nurse manager. But having been everything from frontline, you know, bedside nurse all the way up to a chief nursing officer, I can tell you there is no more stressful position in a hospital than that of a unit manager, a nurse manager. They are getting it in both directions, a thousand percent of the time. And they have not really enough power to affect any change, but they are blamed for everything. So it is a thankless, thankless position. But that being said, I, I really feel that nurse managers and nurse leaders would benefit from not, not looking at things from a patient-centric viewpoint, which they tend to do, they really need to look at things from a nurse-centric viewpoint and view their patient population, so to speak, as nurses. They need to take care of the nurses. And if the nurses are taken care of, they will in turn take care of the patients. You know, it's a trickle-down effect. But stop with the, you know, we have to do this for the patient and the customer this and the customer that. No, your customers are your nurses. Take care of your nurses. Yeah, I'm glad you said that because men I have been traveling for, for years now and we always see nurse managers saying, hey, how can we in- increase patient satisfaction scores? How can we do that? How can we do this? And they do their quarterly numbers or whatever and it turns out that patient satisfaction isn't the best. So what do they do? They add a protocol. 
and this protocol is like an eight-step thing that nurses now now have to do to hopefully bump up these patient satisfaction scores. That doesn't really do anything because all you're doing is adding a, the, a higher workload for the nurse. Because what they used to do in four steps now has to do now has to be done eight, in eight steps and verified by, by somebody else. So now you're de delaying patient care and you're just adding more work to, to the nurse, which that internally doesn't really do any kind of change to the patient satisfaction scores because you're just delaying everything. Instead of focusing on a problem, which is like, hey, how can we satisfy nurses more so they feel satisfied at work? And then when they feel satisfied at work, that's like you said, it's going to trickle over to the, to the patient care. Because if I have more time to spend with the patient, means I have less time being bombarded by work. And I could actually put more care and, and more of a heart into, into what I do instead of being worried, hey, I need to do this protocol because this is how it has to be done now and i'm more worried about that than the actual patient i'm more worried about getting my tasks done than is the patient satisfied how can you improve patient satisfaction if the nurse is always worried about themselves and them having the ability to do the work and then put in a patient second it's almost like you're you're doing the whole process as backwards because for you to satisfy patients you have to first satisfy nurses and then it'll, it'll trickle down it's like a crazy concept that is is like so up in your face but people are just so blind to it you're absolutely right. And one thing that I'm known at my at my job to say frequently when we are in board meetings is, can we just stop putting the solution back on nurses? Every time there's a problem, everyone's solution is, let's have the nurses do this. You know, one, just like you said, one more step, one more step until we're we're doing everyone's job. That has got to stop being the solution, you know, because the fact is nurses can do everyone's job, but no one else can do nurses' jobs, right? So we can do a lot of respiratory therapies job and labs job and physical therapies job, right? It's in our scope. We can do these things, but they can't all do what we do. And this, this is harmful to us, right? They, they take advantage of this. Because just because we can do things doesn't mean that we should. And if we're going to make nurses do these things, then we absolutely have to then adjust the amount of patients to make room and time for that. But this doesn't happen. And they don't want to hear that. This episode is sponsored by Mudwater, our alternative to coffee. It has all the benefits of coffee without the anxiety, jitters, and crashes. My favorite ingredient in mud water is lion's mane because it keeps me alert and focused. My favorite ingredient in mud water is chaga and reishi because it boosts my immune system. It's like chai and cacao had a baby. Mud water works with our body, not against it. Not like most caffeinated products. Mud water is 100% USDA organic, non-GMO, gluten-free, vegan, and kosher certified. Our favorite way to drink mud water is with a nice froth on top and some honey. Use code cup of nurses for discount at checkout. That is code cup of nurses. Not to mention with every purchase, mud water donates to the Berkeley Center for the Science of Psychedelics. Yeah. That's, that's the truth. Erica, do you have like a firsthand experience when you were maybe a new grad nurse when you're like, wow, I am fed up with this. I need to advocate for nurses. Do you, do you have a recollection of an event like that? Uh, you know, there's there's probably a thousand of them. I, I joke all the time and say I worked in the most corrupt hospital in this country, and I did for nine years. You can't convince me I didn't. Um, I have a million horror stories, and I've always advocated 
but on a smaller scale, right? So it's always just been for my immediate unit, right? Or my hospital that I've advocated for, my group of nurses. Now I just kind of do it on a larger scale. But I remember, uh, for example, early on, I was a new grad nurse and it, it was uh, pediatrics and had a, gosh, it was like a, maybe a five-year-old patient who I went in to assess, I was doing something and told me to F off, F off, five years old. I was a little stunned. And I, I said something like, oh, we don't say that here, you know, and the mom was there, overheard this, was clearly, I'm sure, embarrassed because her five-year-old just said something, right? That's, you know, a reflection of parenting, like, let's be real, right? And instead of taking ownership of that, you know, she immediately went and complained and said that the nurse taught the five-year-old how to curse because there's no way that they ever could have heard that anywhere else. It's the first time anyone, you know, blamed it on me. And of course the nurse manager pulls me in the office and it was just so ridiculous. You know, the fact that I'm having to, I even said to her, the fact that I'm having to come in here away from patient care to defend myself and, and try to convince you that I didn't tell a five-year-old to F off. <laughs> absolutely insane. Why are you not having just the common sense to look at that objectively and go, that seems unlikely, you know, instead of retaliating against me. And she, she actually wrote me up for it. It, it was awful, but this is the kind of thing that happens all the time in nursing, right? Whenever a patient or family member complains, the nurse is somehow punished. It's not okay. Yeah, it's not. It's like turning nursing into hospitality. You know, nursing is not. Everyone says, "Oh, nursing is like a hospitality." I'm just like, no. I'm, I don't work for a hotel. I'm, I didn't go to school to work in hospitality. I went to nursing school so I could work in, a, you could say, a medical field, the nursing field. It's like work in medicine, not pleasing every patient. Like I'm here to help you get better. I'm not here to, you know, uh, go go for every wish and need of of you and and your family. It's not. It's not how this works. Like this is this is something that we have to collaborate on as a patient and, and nurse. This is how healthcare work. It's not you want this, I get you this right away. It's not yes sir, right away sir, yes ma'am, right away ma'am. And it's scary because like in your case, that's basically what it is. It's they're taking a patient or not the patient, but the family member's word over over yours. Somebody that has worked there for years and years and gives their heart and soul to it, and that just shows you the the disrespect. They're gonna take someone's word over somebody else's that that they know to work there and, and to trust. It's crazy how, how that how that happens. And that's happened to me a handful of times where I realized I'm like, wow, how, how did this happen where I've been working here for years and years and years, never done anything bad, never said anything bad about anybody. And one patient complaint makes me feel like a like a two-star nurse. And why am I even rated on stars? Why do I why do I feel like a two-star person? Am I giving myself why am I giving myself this kind of rating? It's not how it's not how how the health system works. I shouldn't be giving myself stars or feel like I should be a five-star nurse or a four-star nurse. This is not it's not like a Google ratings thing. It's it's crazy how, how that works. But when did you notice how you could say corrupt or how big of a business healthcare really was? I think I've always realized that, but when I finally went into nursing management and, you know, kind of started to see the thing behind the curtain, right? Uh, that's when it became undeniable to me. You know, when you see the 
the corruption firsthand, right? And the the nickel and diming nurses to death firsthand for long enough, you know, it, it tends to take a toll on you, right? Uh, the, the things that I, I have witnessed, you know, from, from them willing to spend millions of dollars to uh, open a new unit so that it, they can advertise it and, you know, make another feather in their cap, something bright and shiny to show off, while simultaneously literally arguing about can they afford to spend 17 cents, I'm not kidding, 17 cents, one seven per nurse for Nurses Week gifts. <laughs> it's that kind of stuff. We are just so not valued to healthcare administrators at all, at all. Nurses are truly viewed as disposable, a dime a dozen. There is just no value put in us. There is no uh, investment placed in us. We're just seen as replaceable, unfortunately. Especially if we know how critical our patients can be, the complexity of care. Just like you mentioned, we have multiple roles of doing housekeeping sometimes, being phlebotomy, being RTs, and we don't even have a safe working environment. So if we don't have a safe working environment, that already tells us everything that they don't care, right? So if a new nurse is starting off, what are some non-negotiables that every nurse should know as far as their rights when it comes to taking care of complexity patients and knowing their rights as far as where to set boundaries between you and upper management? Yeah, well, two of the things I think are most important are, you know, violence against healthcare workers, right? Uh, so never ever should a nurse or healthcare worker be on the receiving end of any kind of physical assault, hell, even verbal assault, um, certainly not sexual assault, right? And if that happens, we should be encouraged to report it, right? But unfortunately, what happens is that management will discourage the nurse in a lot of places and say, you can't. Well, it's actually our right. We legally can. So they can't tell us that, but they do all the time or they threaten us with uh, you know, being written up or some other type of retaliation if we report things. Uh, so nurses need to know that they can and should report any kind of violence, right? And it should not be tolerated. One of the, the most egregious things I think that uh, managers do is a nurse will be physically assaulted, injured by a patient. And then an hour later, management is rounding coming specifically to that patient's room to apologize for whatever thing that the nurse supposedly did to, you know, prompt that, right? Because of course the patient is going to complain and say, well, the nurse did this, the nurse did that. But instead of them having a zero tolerance policy or, you know, bringing security in or, or doing something, God forbid, proactive or defending the nurse, they will literally come and say, I am so sorry that nurse Jennifer did that to upset you. I'll have to talk to her about that. She shouldn't have insisted you take your medication. You know, it's ridiculous, the things that they do. And the other thing that I really wish nurses understood is that if you report unsafe working conditions, right, whether that be patient safety or employee safety, anything unsafe, you have reported it, you have made leadership aware of this, and then if you are retaliated against, 
that often makes you what's known as a whistleblower. And there are certain legal rights that come along with that. Uh, but unfortunately, what we see is that nurses are retaliated against and they get fed up and they quit and they just, they move on to the next, the next job. Or um, sometimes they're terminated and they just move on instead of fighting back. But they have to understand you reported this and then you were retaliated against. There are very clear laws about this and there are organizations that are set up to you know, take those kind of reports and investigate it. And the reason that they get away with it so much is because almost no one in nursing ever reports these things. So two things there. It's uh, interesting how you said the workplace violence because if you punch a cop, a bartender, anybody else, you get arrested. And in this case, if something happens to us as far as violence, for one, management goes and apologizes. Second, they come up to you. What could have you? What have you done differently? And we need some kind of figure out an action plan for the nurse versus that patient that causes this thing. And let's just say you are a nurse that feels powerless in their unit because they went through the chain of command. Things aren't changing, and there's still this toxic environment or something that is not safe for the nurse to do what is the steps to take as far as reporting outside of the hospital this problem well it really depends on what it is that you're reporting so if you're reporting some kind of a employee safety issue that is environment based um you know like for example they're using some toxic chemicals to clean the floors or something and nurses are starting to, you know, have respiratory reactions, something like that, that's going to go to OSHA, right? Um, if you're reporting things that have to do with maybe not, not being paid appropriately, that's going to go to the labor board. If you're reporting uh, things like, uh, I think, Title IX or Title VII, uh, I always get them mixed up, protected classes, like race, you know, uh, ethnicity, gender, sexual orientation, all of that, that's going to go to the EEOC. So it really just depends on what type of unsafe conditions or retaliation you're enduring. And I actually recently set up a, uh, a dedicated portion of my website at nurseerica.com just for these reporting purposes, because it's so convoluted. It's so complicated to figure out who to report what to. I have done just about all of these reporting systems over the years, and it's overwhelming. You know, I think they purposely make it complicated to dissuade people from doing it. So what I did is I took all of them, the top 10 most common reporting agencies, put them all in one place together on my website with direct links to online reporting and just a very brief synopsis of what they cover at that agency. I took all the other hundreds of pages of reading and crap that has nothing to do with nursing out of it and made it very, you know, short and concise to make it easier. Yeah, I'm glad I did that because I remember having to report some some adverse things that happened at my, at my prior job. And it is a process to do. You got to click on so many things, then you have to hit so many drop down arrows and pick what section you want you want and then this then like the purpose of it and another drop down menu and you just you're just like wow it takes me like 10 minutes just to click through and scroll through all this stuff before i could even file the, the complaint which is yeah. which, which, which is mind-blowing and can you talk a little bit about unions a lot of times unions get bad reps and a lot of people are against unions because they say that 
it's that you're not able to weed out the bad staff or it increases costs. But to be honest, the first time Matt and I traveled to California and we experienced our first union, it was the greatest thing in the world. Like it maintained maintained safe ratios, and even when we couldn't get the exact ratios, it's, it was they were still able to maintain safety because they were able to bring on certain nurses to to help us out from from different floors because we worked in the ICU, and even when we didn't have enough ICU staff, they would still help out with like a tele nurse and give them different kind of patients or tasks to do. So in my opinion, nurse unions are one of the greatest things that they could do. And I can't seem, can't seem to understand why California is the only place that has statewide nursing unions. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, so I have been a nurse and a nurse manager in both union and non-union facilities. So that argument, which you're right, is one of the most common ones people throw out is that the unions protect bad employees and you can't get rid of bad employees. I can tell you firsthand that that's absolutely not true. Now, I freely admit it is more challenging, right? But that is my like cross to bear, you know, as a nurse manager, right? Not, not everyone else's. So if that means I have to spend a little bit extra time uh, documenting things, showing progressive discipline with a problematic employee, then that's what I have to do. But I have certainly terminated problematic employees multiple as a nurse manager with a union in place. You can certainly do that. So that's not true. It's just that it's a little bit more work, right? But ultimately that's the kind of protection that you want, right? Because if you as a good employee are being retaliated against or something, you you want someone to make sure that they're not just throwing you out, that there's actual documentation showing that it's warranted, right? So it, it's a good thing. But I, I think that a lot of people tend to forget or, you know, they're just, they're young and they don't even know that we have unions to thank for things like weekends and not having child labor and, you know, 40 hour work weeks and not, not working in uh, places that are going to give us, you know, lung cancer because we're breathing in these God awful things and, you know, like that's all because of labor unions, right? No one, no one seems to recall that. They, the unions really get a bad rap uh, the last kind of generation or so. And uh, I just think a lot of people that have not been exposed to it firsthand, they just don't have the knowledge and they're going off secondhand information. But like you said, as soon as you experienced it, it was an eye opener, it was a game changer, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, another thing that people debate with nursing unions is that it's expensive. And Matt and I actually looked into a few hospitals' revenue, and these hospitals don't have revenue, and they're not pro they're nonprofit hospitals to begin with. The revenue isn't like five million; it's not ten million; it's hundreds of millions of dollars, like five hundred million, six hundred million. And you're telling me yeah. there's no room in in the in the budget to start a, start a union? There is definitely room, like you mentioned. They have they have opportunities to open new units, which cost millions of dollars, and they're willing to, to do it. And so how can you tell me that there isn't enough money to, to start a nursing union or a CNA union or any kind of union, but yet you're telling me, hey, we're going to apply for magnet status and we're going to hit these numbers. So we're going to increase costs in this section. But then you're telling us that you can't do, these, do this thing for nurses. It's, it's almost mind blowing. And other that you said it, that they mentioned is, is losing your job. It shouldn't be easy for you, for you to use, use your, lose your job. You went to school for four plus years. And getting fired very easily is not something that you should look forward to, right? It shouldn't be something that you have to think about. And that's, I feel like, like you mentioned, that's a, that's a good thing. It should take a lot of effort to fire somebody, fire somebody because 
they're doing a job that keeps them alive, that, that, that pays their mortgage, pays their bills. And it shouldn't be something that you could just get fired over, over one thing. So that is it's completely false. The whole, it's hard to weed out bad employees. You completely weed out bad employees. Like I said, you just have to work a little bit hard to do it, but it's doable. And the whole cost debate, hospitals have so much money, it's, it's ridiculous. Like we've heard so many times about CEOs getting all these bonuses because they're hitting these metrics, these, these scores. Hospitals getting all these rewards that increase their budget because if they get a, a reward for something, they usually is a monetary reward and they can expand their budget. But yet nothing ever trickles down to nurses. It's almost like how can we expand to make more money and just keep the budget the same, but yet build up on top of it and let's just keep the resources that we have the, the way they are. They don't want to change any of the, none of the fundamentals, just whatever, whatever makes more money, which is, which is very sad. Right. So uh, unions are, you know, kind of financially, uh, backed by the members, right? So as a member, you pay union dues. And that's one of the the arguments you hear all the time that they just take your money. Well, it's not that much, you know? The most I think I've heard of is maybe like $60 a pay period. And most of the time it's more like 20, 25 a pay period or a month. You know, it's it's not a great deal of money, especially when you're considering the the benefits and the protections that come with it. I have never even thought twice about that money being taken out of my paycheck. It was absolutely worth it. And I would have been willing to pay more, truth be told. Uh, so, yeah, there that's just not a viable excuse or, you know. It, from my perception. Yeah, it's a small price to have or it's a small price to pay to have a big voice in what actually goes down in, in your career in your hospital. Yeah. Yeah. When when you need a union, you're grateful that you have one, right? So when we worked in Austin, Texas, this was an issue as well. It was non-unionized and the nurses were aware of bad workplace environments. But you just can't go to a manager and say, I think we should do a union because just like you said, they would want to remove you for standing up for something because it's a, more of a financial burden for a hospital. So how does a unit or nurses try to implement that as far as starting a union for their hospital? Yeah, you have to be really careful about the way you go about it. Uh, because even though there are, you know, we have the National Labor Relations Act that is supposed to protect us, it's just not as strong as it should be, right? Which, side note, that's why we need to pass the PRO Act. But, uh, so you need to be strategic in the way you go about it, because as soon as management learns about it, you are at risk for retaliation. You are at risk for just the most hardcore union busting campaigns that you can't even quite imagine. Uh, now, they will find out about it eventually. That's inevitable, no matter how careful you are. But you want to try to put it off as long as you can. So I actually do like one-on-one -on -one Zooms with people to kind of walk them through this process and get them started. But essentially, it, it starts with a conversation between you and a couple trusted coworkers, right? You don't want to run to like the unit snitch, right? We all know every unit has one. <laughs> you want to go to... Uh, you know, the ones that you trust, that you know well, and you want to try to do it outside of work because there's, there's a lot of like rules about what you can talk about as far as union organizing at work and where and at what time. And so while you can do it at work, it's just kind of easier. You don't put yourself in that liable position. So just do it outside of work and just start talking about 
working conditions. And eventually that leads to, well, don't you think a union would potentially help us with some of this? And then you start garnering support and that person talks to someone else and that person talks to someone else and you try to get it around the hospital. You try to get one or two people from each unit, preferably if you can, just to garner and gauge how much support you have hospital-wide. And you reach out to a union. It can really be any union of your choice. You know, there's National Nurses United. That's kind of the, the uh, obvious choice, right? Um, and they're really easy to work with. You literally just go on the website, nationalnursesunited.org. You fill out like a six question questionnaire, super simple, and an organizer calls you and they walk you through it. But you can reach out to any union that you want. It doesn't even have to be a nurse union. There are unions that are like for um, aeronautics engineers that represent unions, you know? So you can, you can interview different unions, you know, whichever one that you feel is the best fit for, for you. Uh, and then they will kind of guide you through it. And eventually they'll have you, uh, have other nurses sign cards, right? You always hear about me talk about little cards. It's just going to be like a little two by three card typically that's just asking for your name and date. And it says, you know, do, would you be interested in holding a union election? Basically, yes or no, that's it. There's nothing legally binding. This is one of the things you hear about all the time from management is you're signing your life away. No, you're not. You can pick up the phone and call them and say, tear up my card tomorrow. There, there's nothing legally. It's just saying you would want to hold an election to give you the choice to vote for an election. That's it. And uh, depending on the union, they're going to tell you you need like six, a minimum of 60% of nurses uh, signing cards. Some will say 70, 80%. It just kind of depends on the union. Uh, and then once they get to that point, they submit the cards to the National Labor Relations Board and they hold an election. And the elections are private. So management cannot know how you voted. Uh, and if they are questioning you about that, they're not supposed to, and it should be reported. Uh, and you hold an election, and that's it. Now, this is kind of like the simplified, you know, quickie version of it. it it's it's more nuanced than that, and it takes some time. And uh, they will absolutely start with a huge, you know, spare no expense union busting campaign, and they're they're going to subject you to all kinds of mandatory meetings about how terrible unions are and all this crap. They don't play fair at all, but that's kind of how you get started. Mm -hmm. Is it, why is it such a giant push for these anti-unions by, by employers? Is it because it costs them time? Like why are they so anti-union? Uh, it, it, there's multiple reasons. The first one is financial because unions fight for higher wages and better benefits, more affordable benefits. So it does translate to increased labor costs. For management, so financial. But the the other overarching reason that I think uh, not a lot of people pay attention to is the control aspect, right? Like nurses are the largest workforce in any given healthcare organization. Nursing homes, hospitals, home health doesn't matter. Nurses, nursing is always the largest workforce for every healthcare organization. And God forbid we are empowered. God forbid we use our power in numbers to affect some change, right? They know that we outnumber them, that we could do this. So they want to hold on till, you know, their, their last dying breath 
to have all control over nurses, right? But you bring in a union and a union empowers nurses and a union fights for nurses. And suddenly nurses begin to realize that they actually have some control and they can actually make you know, some decisions in this, right? Well, that's terrifying to management. They don't want that. And they will spend millions, hundreds of millions of dollars to fight a union instead of just giving the $1 raise, you know, it, it's ridiculous. Yeah. And it is, it is a giant power switch because if nurses have a union, now that say goes to thousands of nurses instead of the handful of managers or the handful of CEOs or supervisors that actually hold the power. The power definitely definitely switches hands. And it's crazy how nurses are, they're the highest in numbers in hospitals. Yeah, like you said, they have the least say. And it's crazy how that works. We have the least say, but there's so much of us. And yet we're the ones that are always being told what, what to do without having any kind of without even being questioned, hey, do you want to do this? Hey, do you think this is a good, this is a good idea? It's just the management decides on something, the, the higher-ups decide something as well, and then we don't even get a say in, hey, this is, is this a good idea, this is a bad idea, we just have to have to do it. And, and it's very true. Like, I never even thought about that. It's a it's a giant power, power flip if nurses have mm-hmm. unions because then we have the say and we're the most abundant of, out of all the healthcare professions. And the crazy thing is, is like, it's just like, are the physicians scared of nursing unions as well? Do you know? Because as like nurses, we have nothing against physicians. We have no problem. We're, we work great with them. Or is it just the supervisor managers that are, that, that are scared? Do, do you think physicians are, are fearful of that? Because if they are, they're not in a fear because we're not going to go after them, you could say. We're not going to go after anybody. We're just going to go stick up for ourselves. We have no bad intent as nurses, nurses in unions. Yeah, in general, providers are not, they don't start out being afraid of unions, but you have to understand that just as much as nurses are subjected to the anti-union campaigns, they put the physicians and providers through that too, because they know that that unfortunately has influence on us, right? So unfortunately, they are often manipulated into all this crap and believing that unions are bad or that you know, the hospital's going to have to close its doors because they can't afford all of this. And so they, they think that they're advocating maybe for the hospital, you know, or they are also just uneducated about unions, right? There's very, very few physician-led um, unions, right? So it's not something they're usually familiar with, but they're just kind of regurgitating what they've been spoon-fed a lot of the time. Yeah, I mean, physicians get, sorry, man, one more thing. Physicians get paid a lot. So I feel like physicians are very satisfied with, with, their, with their income. Nurses are, are the ones that are kind of least satisfied because physicians, they're also in power. They lead the care. They're the ones that also say what to do and the nurses that have to follow their protocols and whatever they, they, they decide. So it's like they're comfortable w- with their role. So it's almost like they don't need to unionize as much as nurses do because they technically do have a say. They have, they have a say in, in, in the care and they also make the hospital money. So obviously supervisors and the CEOs and all that, they're going listen to the, listen to the physicians because the physicians bring in the patients. Like in my, in my home unit, when I used to do staff, cardiology was a, was a big time player in our hospital because cardiology brought in the most patients, the most expensive surgeries, we did heart transplants, LVAD, renal transplants. So everything 
the physicians wanted, they basically got, got catered to because they were just really good at their job and they brought that money in. So it's like they don't need those unions because they're very satisfied. Nurses are the ones that are always getting beat down and are always the ones that are getting pushed to do to do more. And that's kind of where union comes in to represent them because they always get, they always say the bottom of the totem pole. So if you're at the bottom of the totem pole, you have no say, you just follow orders. What kind of power do you really have? You don't really have much power until you unionize. Yeah, well, not only do they have, obviously, uh, much better pay, but they're respected, right? And they're valued because providers generate revenue, right? Their services are billable. Nursing services are not billable. We do not generate any revenue. Uh, so we are really looked at as a necessary evil. They know that they need nurses to run the hospital, but they wish that they could come up with a way to run the hospital without nurses, right? We cost them too much in their perception. So yeah, physicians are not only paid better, but they're treated better because they're the ones bringing in the money. Yeah, it seems like the old school uh, tactics of divide and conquer is happening amongst nurses where if you keep them you know, playing the blame game, we're not going to establish uh, unions just like United States, as an example, you know, there's 435 representatives that create change. If we instead weren't fighting amongst each other and said, hey, you guys are representing we the people, this is what we want, change would happen. But instead, we're playing the finger game and this is happening and race war, et cetera, all this other you know, crazy stuff that's happening and it's just leaving us divided. I, I noticed a real before the show, so I added this question on, and I noticed you were talking about nursing shortages. So I want to hear your perspective. It's definitely unique. Uh, Peter and I always have the perception that the baby boomers are retiring, the nursing schools aren't pumping as much nursing students out, or uh, people don't want to go into the nursing career. I've ta I was on a nursing conference last week. I've heard the same thing where there's a lot less seats in a nursing program. So is there really a nursing shortage? Absolutely not. Nope. This is literally propaganda created by healthcare administrators so that they can get away with staffing less because they can blame everything on this convenient nursing shortage. There are more registered nurses in this country right now than ever before in history. Think about it. Everybody knows nurses. How, how many nursing schools are near you and they're graduating how many students three times a year typically right why are so many nursing students turned away from every nursing program every semester like people are actively trying constantly to get in to the per, to into the profession and into the schools right nurses are abundant nurses are everywhere unfortunately we are not at the bedside because we have been treated so poorly for so long. But there are plenty of nurses. To blame it on a nursing shortage, that's a misnomer. That, that is not an accurate representation at all. They're just not where you need them. And that is because of the way you treat them, right? But it's such a convenient excuse. And you know, like you said, yeah, the baby boomer, baby boomers are retiring. I would I heard that in school 20 years ago. You know, they've been saying that forever. There are so many nurses. If you just treated them well, if they now look at California, I'm sure you guys notice there are senior nurses everywhere, right? That are staying at the bedside. 
that have been nurses for 20 plus years, right? It's not just new grads everywhere. And that's because they're paid well and they have protections and they have mandated staffing ratios, right? If, if you treat them well, they will stay where you need them. Erica, so do you think it's a cheaper business model for hospitals to get rid of staff essentially as far as nurses bedside and have agency maybe travel or have this contracted nurse model where they save money where they don't have to pay for 401k pensions and and benefits yeah it's complicated when you get into travelers there's lots of different uh components to it but yes they do save money with travelers people don't understand that now this is even pre-covid so they're not having to pay for any kind of health benefits pto time off like any of that stuff so they actually save money oftentimes with travelers. Uh, the other thing is that it comes out of a different budget. So it doesn't hit their bottom line in the same way as all the FTEs, the full-time employees do, right? Like that's a budgeted, uh, you know, decided on amount, right? But travelers kind of come out of a different budget. So it doesn't hurt quite the way you think it would. And of course, during COVID, you know, they have taken, I shouldn't say all of them, but the vast majority of them, right, have taken these COVID relief funds and misappropriated them. I mean, let's be real, right? So some of that is being used for travelers, which is fine, like that's appropriate, but a lot of it is not being used the way it was meant to be, right? So yeah, travel, travel nurses get a bad rap that they are the ones that, you know, are greedy or they're costing hospitals too much money and they're the problem behind increased costs. And it's not that, it's not that. Stop, stop blaming the nurses that are just trying to empower themselves and have a little more say-so and control over their own, you know, career. Yeah. So what you're saying is that there's not just a nursing shortage, it's just nurses don't want to do bedside anymore, right? A lot of them just go to plastics or work at a clinic or they just become NPs or go to CRNA school. So the issue isn't that there's not enough nurses. It's just that working bedside sucks. And people yeah. only tolerate working bedside for a certain amount of years before they say, hey, screw this. I'm going to work somewhere with better hours, not having, having to do nights, not having to do weekends, get holidays off instead of dealing with this stuff. Because working at bedside, you're not only dealing with management, you're also dealing with uncompliant patients. So you get both ends of the stick and working at a clinic you have you could say a little bit healthier patients and more cooperative patients that aren't aren't as stressful right so i'm glad you brought, brought that because i never thought about it that way because to my knowledge I, I always saw that there is a nursing shortage because i always work bedside and i always see a lack of nurses so to me when you said that there isn't a shortage i was like how is there no shortage every time i come to work every hospital i've been to they lack nurses but then i'm like they lack bedside nurses. There's not enough. It's not that there's not enough nurses in the United States. Is that there's not enough bedside nurses because bedside really, really sucks. So that's a that's a good concept to, to bring up because that's like where majority of nurses nurses work is bedside, and yet that's where they get the worst treatment. And it's mind blowing that you brought that up to my attention. I just had that realization. Yeah, and, and it is kind of mind blowing once you realize that. And you know, there was a time before I really kind of put all the pieces together where. I would say that too, and I'm embarrassed to even say it now, but there was a time as a manager where I said, well, what do you what do you expect? There's a nursing shortage. And I cringe now when I think back on it. But I mean, that's what we're told. That's what we're taught from nursing school, right? It's, it's ingrained in us and the public knows it and everybody knows it and it's everywhere. It's in every article, nursing shortage, nursing shortage, everywhere, you know? 
but you have to take a step back and look at it objectively and simple things like going on, you know, the Bureau of Labor Statistics and looking at the numbers, you know, and then just sitting back and going, yeah, you know, the nursing school here in my city just turned away like 250 qualified applicants last semester. What does that tell us? You know, and this is happening everywhere. Yeah. So, so basically, this is just an excuse for hospitals to say we can do more with less because we have yes. the fabricated yeah, exactly. the propaganda to push our agenda of continue cutting costs and having a nurse to double the work or whatever the case is. Can you think of a better excuse that takes all the blame away from management other than a fabricated nursing shortage? Because it, it basically absolves them of all responsibility, right? Because they can think, what's nursing shortage? I mean, we're trying, we're trying to hire, but there's a shortage. We all know there's a shortage. So there's just not enough. We can't provide enough nurses, but it's not our fault. It's beyond our control. It's like the perfect alibi, right? <laughs> Erica, one last question we'd like to ask all of our guests. So if you had an opportunity to have a cup of coffee with anybody one last time, who would it be and why? Uh, you know, I, it would have to probably be my ex-husband, which I know sounds a little odd, but um, he, he passed unexpectedly uh, shortly after we were divorced when my kids were young and, you know, far too, far too early. And I would have, I would like to be able to have that one more conversation with him. Absolutely. What did you really want to ask him or talk to him about? Uh, maybe, maybe just reassurance that it'll be okay. You know, that I'll take care of them. I'll carry on. That's really powerful. Yeah. Nurse Erica, where can people find you? Your social media accounts, your website? Yeah, so I'm at nurseerica.com and I am at the nurse Erica on TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, and on Facebook, I am just nurse Erica. I don't know why I dropped the the just to be complicated. Uh, but you can find me just about everywhere. I just recently started a new YouTube and I'm trying to figure out podcasting. I don't know what I'm doing. You guys got to give me some tips, maybe. Okay, let's do it. Erica, we just want to acknowledge you for your time, for getting on the show. Thank you so much. And thank you for being such an amazing advocate for nurses and the nurses that want to speak up. You are there for them advocating. So we really acknowledge and appreciate you for that. Thank you. I appreciate that.